You're listening to Spotlight on Locum Tenens on ReachMD in partnership with LocumStory.com. With so much competition, it's getting harder and harder to get into top medical fellowships. So what can young doctors do to help themselves stand out from the pack? I'm your host, Tim Rush, and today I'm joined by Dr. Bassam Ramawi. Dr. Ramawi is from New York City and is currently completing his second fellowship in reproductive infectious diseases and maternal fetal medicine at the Medical University of South Carolina. He took a unique path to medicine. First, he started medical school at the age of 15, and then he's taken a unique route since graduating. Rather than going directly into practice, he chose to pursue some work as a locum tenens, exploring different clinical settings, procedures, before settling down into a permanent location. Today we're discussing alternative career options for fellows. Dr. Ramawi, welcome to my show. Thank you. You know, it just stands out so much in the introduction, starting medical school at the age of 15. Let's start there. Tell us a little bit about what it was like starting medical school at such a young age. Well, it was definitely fantastic. I was really tall all my life, I guess because I was on the swimming team for quite some time. So even though my face looked young and I had a little bit of hair on my face, a lot of people really didn't recognize my age. But when I kind of told them my age, it was... uh, it was kind of like shocking for them to hear that, and a lot of people didn't believe it, and they needed to uh, see some ID. When I finally showed them my ID, it was, it was pretty amazing, their face. And, and I could tell you, I sat down with bunches of people, and they said, start from scratch and tell me how'd you do it, where'd you go, and what made you do it this far. And so it's like I've, I, I'm accustomed to telling people pretty much how I made it this far, and it's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. You mentioned the swim team. I also understand that you were a lifeguard at an early age. Tell me how working as a lifeguard influenced you in towards becoming a physician. Sure. So I was a lifeguard for several years. I worked in New York City. I started off working in a small local swimming pool where I where I did my high school training as a swimmer. And I was too young to really to join like the beaches over there because you had to be 16 and older. And of course, I wasn't 16 at that time. So my uh, swim coach allowed me to work in a local swimming pool at that time. And some of the great things that it helped me for medical schools, you know, you get to learn CPR. You get to really know how to work with patients. You really get to know how to work with other people around you. It really gets to build up your self-esteem to know how to talk to people, to try to work with people, to try to save people's lives. You have people's lives in your own hands. So it kind of makes you feel like a doctor, even though you're not a doctor. You're only a lifeguard. And when anybody would get a scrape or a cut or anything on their legs, they'd come up to you and, you know, you'd come down, you'd feel like a hero because you'd open up your first aid box and there you go, you have alcohol swabs, you have bandages, you have, you know, everything you need to, like, go ahead and repair them back to normal. And, you know, of course, if you can't do it, you just send them to the emergency department to take care of the rest. But for the most part, over about 90% of the stuff that I've encountered, I was able to do it on my own as long as I didn't need any stitching or anything of that sort you know, at the at the pool side. So it makes you kind of feel like a doctor at a very young age, and that kind of, like, built up my self-esteem to why I wanted to be a physician and, the, and one of the most important things in my life that I've, I've come across. Well, obviously, during this time, you were living with your parents in New York. While you were there, you were a witness to a major American history event, the crisis of 9-11, at just 15. Tell us a little bit about your role in the relief efforts there and how that impacted your life. Sure, sure. So I was in college during that time, and I remember 
my college, I went to a college called St. Francis College, which is literally right across a bay from where the Twin Towers used to stand. So sitting in class, I remember very vividly, it was cell biology class. We were sitting there, and all of a sudden our whole building just shook, and we all got scared. We were like, wow, what was that? So we all ran to the, to the window. We looked across the bay, and we just see a lot of smoke coming from one of the towers, and we're like, oh, my God, the building got hit. The building got hit. We didn't know what it was. And we're all staring there, and then we physically, I mean, me and my whole class, about 30 of us, we physically witnessed the second plane going into the second tower, and, you know, bam, it just, another flame of fire coming up, and flame, we're like, oh, my God, a plane just crashed into the building. So we're like, we need to do something. So, of course, bells were going off in our school saying all people need to be evacuated, and we urge everybody to go home. Do not attempt to go close to the bay. Do not attempt to try to make it to Manhattan. Just go straight to home and stay as far as possible away from the city at this time. We were so close to the bay that they were afraid that any debris might cross over. And sure enough, I could tell you within 30 minutes of us evacuating all our cars, all the street, all the front building, was just saturated with debris. And we couldn't even tell anything from it. It looked like it was snowing, you know, around September. You know, it was just full of just white dust everywhere. People are inhaling stuff. People are coughing. People are just, like, really sick. People are crying. We're trying to make phone calls. And, of course, all the phone lines are so busy because everybody is trying to use their phones. And it was just really, really scary at that time. So, you know, it's it's just people are just really nervous at that time. So I was uh, – I volunteered a lot growing up, like, in uh, local communities, cleaning up graffiti and cleaning up dirt off the street you know, in local communities, and I worked with the New York City Police Department a lot. And uh, I remember going to uh, my local police department, and I was telling them, hey, you know, I'm a lifeguard, and, you know, I'm very young, but I, you know, I really want to be a doctor when I grow up. Is there any way I could help? And they're like, of course. You know, we could use as much help as possible. So I remember vividly, as if it was just yesterday, I remember one of the sergeants was like, yeah, here, throw this on. He, like, threw it at me, threw me, gave me a helmet, gave me some, like, special shield to wear on me that said, like, volunteer helper. He's like, throw this on and take you to the city right now, and you're just going to help. All you do is just help the firefighters, help the EMT get food, you know, to to the injured people, help get people into the EMS, do any bandaging, do any any stitching, whatever you need to do, just do it just to get these people into an ambulance and off to hospital. So I went into the police car, and I remember my uh, one of my best friends was with me, and he volunteered. And the police officer put on his, his siren light, and here we are going to Manhattan. And I felt like a superhero, like like they were waiting for me or something to go to the city. And I'm only 15 years old with just lifeguard experience. And uh, we went to the city, and, of course, we're bypassing a bunch of cars because it was just a lot of traffic, and cars are moving out of our way because the police officer has his siren on. And we made it all the way to the city, and, of course, it was just crowded with people, crowded with just debris and dirt. There were firefighters there. There were EMT people there. There were just people just, just volunteering from everywhere, just helping out. And I went out there, and I just helping get food to injured firefighters, to injured police officers, just helping to lift people off because they've injured legs, they've lost limbs, just helping them to pick them up and put them in an EMT with other people. And, you know, and nobody knew how old I was. They're like, you know, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not really a sir. I'm still <laughs> a kid. 
that's the only thing that was going through my head, but that's fine. And everybody kept saying, sir, sir, help me. And I'm like, I wonder if they're talking to me because I'm not really a sir, you know, because I was so young. So even though I'm helping people, I still had that young mentality in my brain. So, But it felt really cool because I was able to help a lot of people. That also pushed me toward helping people as being a career path that I wanted to go through. Oh, yeah, man, that must have just, oh, that must have been quite a, a life-shaping and changing experience. You followed in your parents' OB footsteps, but after graduating, you decided not to start practicing right away, and instead you chose to do some locums work. Tell us about that decision. Yeah, so after I finished um, residency training, uh, one of the biggest fears that I had working in residency training was I was always uh, relying on a superior attending physician whenever I was making my decisions you know, about patients, even though I felt comfortable doing surgeries, even though I felt comfortable taking care of patients, even though I've passed my examinations and I was board certified as an OBGYN, I just felt really scared to go out to the real world by myself and really take out, take on patient care. So one of the biggest things that I looked into was locum tenum work because locum tenum work, you get to start off light, you get to go somewhere small, and you get to just really build your way up. And that's what, something that I like about it because with locum tenum work, the great thing about it is you could put yourself in any specific situation you like. For example, in my situation, you could just say, I just want to do labor and delivery. I don't want to do clinic. I don't want to do surgeries for GYN cases. I don't want to do emergency room. I just want to do labor and delivery. So you get to go and you get to do one specific region or area that you want to. And vice versa, you could say, I want to do GYN, or I just want to do emergency room. So you could do either one you want. Now, when you go out in the real world by yourself, all of that stuff is just thrown at you. You don't really have the option. So you just got to get ready and just open up your arms and just catch whatever's thrown at you. So locum tenum work really gave me the extra work and the extra care and the extra really self-esteem motivator to really get me out there and really push me around. And I could tell you for sure, starting my fellowship over here, I mean, I, 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 was, I was glowing on my first year, and I still am over here because just because of my work at, you know, my locum work, I started off, and people were like, wow, you have so much experience, and you just finished residency like a year and a half ago. And I was like, well, yeah, I did a lot of locum work, and that really helped me. They said, whoa, that's really nice. That's really cool. Tell us more about it. And I told them, and they're like, man, I wish more of our physicians would do that after residency because it really helped. And I could tell you for sure a lot of the residents that are here now in my department they come and they sit with me because they know I've done locum work. And they said, hey, Dr. Mao, can you tell us more about how you did locum work? Do you think I should do it? And sure enough, I tell them, hey, it's a great way to go and you should do it because it really helps you a lot. It really guides you in a, in a path where you get to make your own decisions and it really helps you to start off light and really just build yourself up so you don't really have to start, you know, from scratch and just get everything thrown at you at once. You could really start off really light. That's the first thing. The second thing that it pays really well. So, you know, sometimes starting off straight from scratch, you don't know anybody. You Sometimes you go to an area where, you know, you're in a new location, a new state, a new community, a new city. You don't know anybody. Nobody really knows you. So for you to go open up your own practice, you're not going to shine on your first day. As a matter of fact, it may take you months and months before you actually start to get your office rolling and stuff. But when you go into local work, they assist you to get you into a facility where you're like, as if you've been a physician for years and years, and people are open-handed and they know that you are coming and they're ready for you. So it kind of, again, built up your self-esteem 
to kind of like get you accepted into the field that you have finished and graduated with. Well, let's shift gears. Tell us about your current position. You're now in your second fellowship. Can you explain? I know we just talked about it a little bit, but specifically, how did the locums experience help you in applying for the fellowship opportunity? So I could tell you for sure that reproductive infectious diseases is a very rare fellowship in obstetrics and gynecology. As a matter of fact, there's only four fellowships in the entire world, with three of the fellowships being in the United States, one of them being in South Carolina, another one being at the University of Pittsburgh, another one being at University of San Francisco, and then the fourth one's in Toronto, Canada. So there's only four in the whole world, and it's a really competitive uh, position to get. They they interview about 15,000 applicants, and they only take one person every second year. So every two years, they interview 15,000 and take one person. So when I applied for it, I went into this, you know, coming from a small hospital where I graduate residency and having my locum experience work. And when I interviewed that day, and I remember telling them about my locum work and what I did after college, they saw how motivated, motivated I was to really get my experience up to par after after my residency. And one of the unique cases that I saw while being a locum was a young lady that came in that had a really bad infection in her uterus that she was pretty much in the intensive care unit dying. And her husband came up to me and held my hand and said, you know, we have eight other kids at home. Please, doctor, I don't have much money. I don't have anything. I don't have a car, but I'll get you whatever you want. Anything you need, just save my wife. I cannot lose my wife. I just told him, I told him, sir, I'm going to do everything I can, I promise, as if this is my own wife, as if this is my own mother, as if this is my own patient, which it is, and I'm going to help her. And sure enough, I took her to the operating room. She required a hysterectomy just to save her life. And she went home four days later, smiling, happy, thankful as ever, just to go ahead. And I told him, you don't have to pay me back anything. It's just my job as being a physician. And when I told him this story, and I told him that I would never have gotten this if I didn't do locum work, that was one of the biggest things that really led them to take me into the fellowship program, and I got accepted into it. And when I got into here, I told them that how much I love high-risk obstetrics and maternal fetal medicine, that even though it's very rare to get two fellowships, they said, whatever you need, we'll give it to you. And I said, well, can I get two fellowships? They said, it's yours. If you want three, we'll give you three. If you want four, we'll give you four. I'm like, well, that's too much. Let's just stick with two for now. We'll see how it goes after that. And I went ahead and they gave me two contracts at once, and I signed an infectious disease contract, and I signed a maternal fetal medicine contract. And the good thing about it in obstetrics and gynecology, usually each fellowship is about three years long, but they said, just to make it easier for me, we'll cut it down a year for each, and we'll give you two fellowships in just four years. So it's only really staying one extra year, and I get two for the price of one. That really worked out to my benefit, just because my locum work really helped me push me to get that extra experience to get to see that sick patient that I was able to talk about. And without my local tenant work, I would not have seen that patient and would probably not have gotten that fellowship. Well, wow. I, <laughs> you know, I can imagine how busy your life is, um, but yet you still do locum work. First of all, how do you find the time? And, um, and second, with all that you're doing there within your fellowships, what are you getting out of locum still? Well, with fellowships, just like residency, of course, the pay is not the best in the world. Um, so a lot of people always say you're the most overeducated, underpaid physician because you're still a fellow. And I tell them it's okay when I graduate, you know, hopefully 
more money will come in time. And it's not all about money. It's all about, you know, just taking care of patients and doing what I love most. But the good thing about it is, you know, you still have some bills to pay. You still have car payments to make. You still have medical school loans to pay off. And you need that extra little money to help get you through. And I could tell you, being doing locum tenant work at the same time helps to get that extra paycheck under your belt. And I could tell you, one paycheck from locum work is more than I make in three months of fellowship. And it's only a weekend with locum work. So it really pays off amazingly. And it's a, it's a great experience. The other thing is that with fellowship, even though I'm doing two fellowships and stuff, there's always rules that they have to follow. So they don't allow us to work more than 80 hours a week. After 80 hours a week, they usually let us go home. But because they respect me a lot over here and they really like me, I usually don't work more than 40 hours a week. So I have a lot of free time to still go ahead and do some local tenant work. And I still get to pick up extra shifts here and there on weekends. I only usually work like one weekend a month in, in my fellowship. So the other three weekends, I'm able to to dedicate that time to local tenant work. Wow. So <laughs> it's amazing how much you've experienced at the age that you are. Um, where do you go from here? So after I finish my fellowship, I'm planning on moving on to a, a large academic program. I'm looking hopefully to become uh, a chairman of a department somewhere, um, maybe like a big academic program. I'm also doing a lot of research as well because, you know, without research, medicine would never grow. So I like doing a lot of research as well and try to expand on medicine. Um, at the same time, I want to definitely continue doing locum tenant work because it's a great experience and it's a great, um, great uh, mode of, you know, payments and, and helping you to, to get some extra money that you needed. And again, it's not all just about the money. It's getting to meet new people. I think one of the best things that I've learned about locum tenant work is meeting new physicians, getting to see different hospitals and get to see how they practice medicine, and then you get to bring your experience into their hospital and be like, wow, I've never seen a physician practice like that. That's so cool. Is that how you do it at your hospital? And I'll say, sure, I do. So locum tenant work really gives you that bump to really go and show off your skills at other hospitals. It makes you feel, again, much better. Well, Dr. Amawi, unfortunately, we have run out of time, but I do want to thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for allowing me to talk today. I enjoyed uh, speaking with you today. And I hope to get to uh, continue working with you. And whatever I could do to help, please call me and let me know. We've been discussing alternative career opportunities with locum tenens and fellowships. I'm your host, Tim Rush, and thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Spotlight on Locum Tenens. To download this program or others from the series, please visit ReachMD.com slash Locum Tenens. This series is produced in partnership with LocumStory.com. Thank you for listening. A lot of physicians have questions about locum tenants, and locumstory.com is the place for them to get real, unbiased answers to those questions. Basic questions like, what is locum tenants? To more complex questions about pay ranges, taxes, various specialties, and how locum tenants works for PAs and NPs. And then there's the big question, is it right for you? Go to locumstory.com and get the answers.